Corpendium Spotlight. It's time for another Corpendium Spotlight, and we're back with Kimmy Wan and Sean Nort. I'll just have you both introduce yourselves, please. Sure. Hi, Jesse. So I'm an assistant professor at Chapman University School of Pharmacy and an emergency medicine and critical care pharmacy specialist. Hey, everybody. I'm Sean Norad. I'm an emergency physician, a medical toxicologist, pharmacist, uh, and addiction medicine. And it's great to be here. Well, our last section on the updated pharmacology section coming to Corpendium was so interesting. And I feel like there's so much to talk about. I wanted to have you both back so we could talk about a couple other interesting topics. One of the things that came up was the idea of dose corrections. And you both have seen some mistakes that we make in the emergency room. One of those is underdosing Keppra in status epilepticus and some of the new guidelines for treating sexually transmitted infections. Kimmy, can you give us a little bit of a review of what we were talking about? Yeah, sure. So the first one that we were describing was with Keppra or the generic name, levetiracetam. I know pretty much everyone calls it Keppra because levetiracetam is a mouthful. So I commonly see providers giving levetiracetam or Keppra one gram to patients when they come in for status epilepticus. And back in, oh, November of 2019, there was the ESET trial that came out and that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And they looked at higher doses of Keppra loads. So they use 40 to 60 milligrams per kilogram, maxing out at 4,500 milligrams. So big whopping doses, bigger than the one gram that we're used to seeing, even one to two grams. And so there's been a few other studies that have come out also looking at increased dosing. So 40 milligrams per kilogram. And again, they were safe, no real adverse effects. Some patients, like three out of the, I don't know, 1,600 patients that they studied in the ESET trial, three of them reported dizziness and headache, but that was about it. Some of the big trials that you're referring to in addition to the ESET would be the CONCEPT trial, the ECLIPSE trial. And thank you. I just have to side note, thank you for pronouncing the name of that medication because I always say it wrong and I'm just about to say it wrong again. I always say love. How do you say it? Levetiracetam. I think I always say levetiracetam or something. So, Hey, you can say it that way. There you go. Too. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Remember the whole point of a loading dose is to get up to a therapeutic concentration super fast. You will not be at steady state for a while. So if you have to err on the side of shooting high, shoot high, because when you shoot too low, you're not going to hit that critical therapeutic level that you need, particularly in something like status. People often underestimate looking at a patient and saying, what weight are they? I will tell you, Americans and people across the globe are generally on the bigger side. And so just estimate a little bit higher because you really need to control that seizure to prevent some, you know, unfortunate sequelae. Yeah, and it seems like Keppra is pretty well tolerated generally. I, even if you aim a little too high, you're not going to have terrible side effects. Would you, uh, right, Sean? That's right. So the good thing about all the epileptics, even with carbamazepine, that we do worry about seizures, but none of the other ones really cause seizures. They just get somnolent and ataxic. You got a postictal patient, they're going to be sitting there anyway. So that's fine. Just give them the appropriate dose. If they get a little bit that's super therapeutic. They might be a little somnolent, a little ataxic. And then when they're safe to discharge, you discharge them. Perfect. All right. So point number one, we're underdosing 
levetiracetam or however you might want to say that medication we're underdosing it uh, people should be shooting for 40 mg per kg and maxing at about 4500 yeah or even you know even maxing at 4000 somewhere around there and also i want to put a plug in Mike and Sanjay actually just had an EMA article in April 2021 this year, and it was on a study that was a sub-study of the ESET trial. So it's a nice little related thing to what we're talking about today. Definitely check out EMA April 2021, specifically Abstract 22, for some information on that. Thank you. Let's talk now about the updated CDC guidelines for the treatment of gonococcal infection. Yeah, so this came out in a MMWR by the CDC last December, so December 2020. And we actually did an MRAP segment about it back in January. But this is a good reminder because we're still seeing people who aren't aware of the new dosing guidelines. So the old recommendation by the CDC for gonorrhea and chlamydia was ceftriaxone, 250 milligrams intramuscular and azithromycin one gram, just one dose. The new updated recommendations because of the increased resistance, so now for gonorrhea, they recommend ceftriaxone 500 milligrams intramuscular instead of the 250 milligrams. And you actually don't necessarily need to treat chlamydia if you can rule it out. If it can't be ruled out, then you would treat it as a co-infection, and they recommend doxycycline 100 milligrams twice daily for seven days, and that's instead of the azithromycin, again, because of the increased resistance. And what can we do for our patients who are not super compliant and are not going to be taking that doxy for seven days? That's a great question. So you could consider giving the azithromycin. Again, there's increased resistance, but it would be the benefit of giving them something outweighs the uh, risk of them not taking the medication and it going untreated. I just want to make two quick comments. Remember, syphilis is on the rise, right? And it's a real tough diagnosis at times to make. So make sure if you are treating any of these STIs to do a nice head to toe and make sure you're not missing any syphilis. And then the other thing about ceftriaxone being IM. Now, the reason was IM was really because you'd be having outpatient clinics or maybe large groups of people being treated. If they have an IV, use the IV. There is no depot effect. Now, it is nice to put some lidocaine in if you're going to give an IM injection. But if you're seeing them in the ED and you have an IV for any reason, give the dose IV. If they don't, I just talk to the patient and say, hey, I can either give you an intramuscular injection, which is fine and safe, although it might be a little discomfort, or I can put an IV in. But there is no depot effect. I know that question comes up quite a bit that some of the nursing staff or even some of our other clinician physicians will say, oh, we have to give it IM. You do not. There is nothing special about giving it IM. Yeah, this is not epi for anaphylaxis that we're talking about. So very great clarification there. We want to be nice to our patients. So Sean, is it the same dose? It would still be 500 milligrams, just IV? It would be 500 milligrams. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. All right, perfect. And you made a great point about syphilis. In your opinion, Sean, are you just going ahead giving people penicillin now when they come in? Is it that high, that prevalent that you're going to add it to your cocktail? So of course, you're going to consider it any patient population, but particularly men who have sex with men are the ones that we're seeing epidemiologically, the increase. 
you just want to make sure you don't miss it. You know, neurosyphilis, we'll see a couple of cases, you know, each physician probably a year or something like that, or somebody who has a history. But this is a really bad disease if it's undiagnosed for a period of time. I don't empirically give people penicillin, but I will be pretty aggressive in screening for syphilis and making sure I have proper contact information to follow them up if the results are pending. And syphilis, we usually treat with an IM injection. Can that be IV? No, this is the one where it's IM, but this is where you want to make sure you have a really good allergy history because the number one cause of death from anaphylaxis for medications is penicillin. And it's very often associated with IM injections because once it gets in there, you can't get it out. So just make sure you take a really good allergy history. But this is the IM injection for syphilis. Why is that? Why is it more effective intramuscularly? It's because of the formulation is a long acting. So basically, you're giving them, you know, repeated IV doses over a long period of time. So it's the benzathine penicillin. If you think about neurosyphilis, we absolutely give them IV doses of penicillin, but we do it over a prolonged period of time. Beautiful. Well, this was super helpful. Really nice reminders. I can't wait to talk to you both again. Pharmacology is something that I think we always need good updates on. And thanks for keeping us in line, Sean and Kimmy. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Kimmy. I am what I am. This medication is a mouthful. I am my own special creation. How do you go about pronouncing it? Love. Bam! Levitaris C10. Hey, you can say it that way, too. Love. Bam! Levitiracetam. How do you say it? Levitiracetam. 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 How do you say it? In español, sería levetira. Leve. It's pronounced levitiracetam. I've totally got this. Wham bam. Levitiracetam. 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 Hey, you can say it that way. Levitiracetam. I think I always say levitiracetam or something. Wham bam. Pronounced Kepra. Tomato, tomato.